Welcome everybody to Exact Show. We are here with Eric, Brian, Olivia, and our special guest tonight, the duo Demonology, uh, James Anito and Carl Johnson here. Now they're demonologists and we decided to have them on to get just a different perspective on what this stuff is um, and, you know, have a little fun with it. So first, let's talk about how you guys got into this stuff because that's the most interesting part to me personally. I don't know how you guys figure out this is what you want to do. So uh, who wants to start? It's up to you guys. Carl, James. Well, you're, you're always oh, yeah, not yeah, an elder yeah. girl first. So, of course, uh, <laughs> you didn't say age before beauty. I was going to say age before beauty. Yeah, we cut beauty. you off before you could do that. Yeah. Uh, all right, go for it, Carl. You're up. I met this guy when I was a teacher, and he was in kindergarten, right? And we okay. said, no, no, that's not true. Uh, it was 10 years ago, precisely, that I was involved in a case in uh, Orange, Massachusetts, it would actually turn out to be a full-fledged uh, demonic case. In fact, it was documented for an episode of The Haunted on Animal Planet, uh, and uh, the title of that episode was Demon Attack. Mm. You, you, if you ever see that episode, you get a little encapsulation of it, but you know it doesn't tell the full story and all its complications. And all. But James knew people in the investigative team that I was working with and had called in, uh, myself to consult, and so I heard about James, he heard about me, and uh, soon afterwards we met. And the team, uh, which I was working with, they needed, we needed a tech manager. And James came on as our tech guy, and it was a very good association. And then, you know, certain key members relocated out of state, and things changed and kind of drifted apart. Mm. Tried to stay in touch, would see each other from time to time, uh, sporadically at uh, paracons and lectures. And then uh, two years ago, James and I were to actually it, it crystallized a year ago in 2019. Two years ago in 2018, James was at Ocean State Paracon. So James, I see him again, you know. And then we ran into each other at an event in uh, in Coventry, Rhode Island, at the Payne House, a haunted house. And James and I talked more and more. James said he was working on a project and he wanted me involved. Then we talked about it more at Ocean State Paracon, Rhode Island being the Ocean State. Ocean State Paracon in Harrisville, Rhode Island, in the summer, the July, mid-July of 2019, and then we decided to organize what became known as Duo Daemonology, and this is James's brainchild. Mm. He thought of the cool name. People remember it. Yeah. Duo meaning us. Right. And sense. specifically, you know, I, I've been involved uh, in this form of uh, realm of things like what you would call the paranormal field, or if you watch paranormal shows, I've been involved with it for. 15 years, and the man sitting next to me, of course, 47 years. Um, one of the most famous things that he's actually very well known for, even though he did not get any credence for or credit for in any way, shape, or form, is a movie called The Conjuring. I bet, I hopefully most of you oh, saw yeah. it. Um, Carl was actually the very first investigator in the house in uh, 1974. 1973. Was, and he actually brought the Warrens in. So if it wasn't for Carl, you would never have that movie. Yeah, you wouldn't have that whole franchise, as a matter of fact, you know. Not that I planned it that way because I was omitted from it, but it's an interesting origin, you know, that I brought in Ed and Lorraine Warren to investigate that, that household. How'd and that I was one, a member of... How'd that happen? How'd that happen? Sorry. How'd that happen? Oh, that's okay. It was uh, almost a series of coincidences. It seemed like it in retrospect. I was a member of a group, a team based at Rhode Island College in Providence, and uh, we wanted to do some residential cases. We had handled exterior investigations. So, uh, to that effect, my brother placed an ad in a local periodical, 
uh, advertising us as a team who would not charge to come in and investigate somebody's house and give our evaluation, our assessment. So three weeks later, after that ad was published, we were contacted by a Mrs. Carolyn Perrin. She and her husband, Roger, and their five daughters were residing in a farmhouse in Harrisburg, Rhode Island. They had some strange activity there. To it, we were called in. Uh, we came to the parents' house, did our investigation, found it very interesting. Yeah, they had a haunting. But we didn't feel it was to the level where they were going to be driven out, but they definitely had things going on that were disturbing them. So then uh, I established a rapport with the lady of the house, Mrs. Carolyn Perrin. We were speaking frequently, and we came back a few weeks later. Things seemed to happen in three weeks intervals, increments. So we came back, and what a dramatic change in Mrs. Perrin. She is uh, noticeably thinner and careworn, and her, her husband was starting to wake up with scratches on his chest and his arms. So... Uh, we were acquainted with Ed and Lorraine Warren, the noted paranormal investigators, the ghost hunters at the time. And, uh, well, we thought we could benefit from their vast experience. So we contacted Ed Warren. When I say we, I mean our, our case manager of this team, Donna and myself. And uh, the Warrens magnanimously offered to come to this house. And they did. So we lost out on that case because I stopped hearing from Mrs. Perrin stopped her daily calls. And we didn't hear again from the parents uh, for another two and a half weeks. Then Mrs. Perrin, uh, Carolyn called me and explained that the Warrens had advised them, advised the parents that they could be of no good unless they were the sole paranormalist there. They said, we were just a bunch of college kids. We were in over our heads, we didn't know what we were doing, which uh, I, to contradict that, uh, we were taking a scientific approach. We were conducting an investigation of the parent house, whereas the Warrens conducted uh, an intercession to rid them of the demon in their house. So we've taken a more scientific grounded method. It's just different methodology. You know? So that's how we acquired the parent case and lost out on it. 40 years later, of course, that became the subject of a major motion picture titled The Conjuring. Highly fictionalized but I enjoyed the movie. My brother got together the members of the original investigating team based at Rhode Island College 40 years later, and I really liked that film, The Conjuring. It made me nostalgic. Uh, most of it wasn't very realistic, I'll tell you that. But to watch Patrick Wilson and Vera Farminga portraying Edward and Lorraine Warren, you know, it was like watching the Warrens again. They had a charm about them and uh, made me nostalgic for the times. What would you say the biggest difference between reality and the movie was? Like you said it was fictional. What, what was the biggest difference? To be frank about it, portraying the Warrens as selfless heroes. Okay. Now, I'm not saying they were bad people at all. I very much disagreed with their methods at times and, uh, because they were more subjective than objective in their approach. I think portraying them as these stalwart investigators who were realists, and give a realistic assessment. That just wasn't it. That wasn't what it was like. Uh, the ending is vastly different, where the Warrens write in to save the day. Now, I don't want to, you know, garner a lot of flack about this, but uh, I, I illustrate both sides. I'm not saying they didn't do any good for the parents. It just ended unfavorably. But uh, you know, this thing about the exorcism being performed and them saving the day. Just didn't go down that way. I wish we had stayed with that case because we would have given them a scientific evaluation. 
there was the paranormal happening, you know, like strange things we could not explain empirically happening in that farmhouse in Harrisville, Rhode Island. But a lot could be explained and could have been analyzed properly. So it just, you know, to have them be the right the white knights that ride in and, and save the family, it just it just did not go down that way. I have to say, you're pretty. Um, you took it well. I mean, like I would have been fucking infuriated for the yeah. last forty years. That's just me. I, I don't know. That's just me. But uh, yeah, how did you, you get into the? I know James. I know, like I read a bit about you where you were like going to graveyards with flashlights as a kid. Like you were really interested. Carl, how did you get into it? Like as a kid, what what really sparked you to like this is the route I want to go? I was raised in a haunted house. Oh out in uh, Western Rhode Island, you know, out in the country setting. And uh, most days were business as usual, but we did have some freaky happenstances there. You know, like it was uh, genuinely a haunting there to see things move on their own, hear bangings on the wall at night. I saw an apparition more than once, more than twice, down in my parents' basement. And I remember saying, am I going to believe this when I get older? Am I going to memorize this and know I was really seeing this? Yeah, I did. I did, and I wasn't the only one who experienced that spirit there. So it was a haunted house. It was very scary some nights, um, but that fueled my interest in the paranormal. It's like, what what makes these things happen? Are they embedded and coded into the walls, or you know, what makes a ghost happen? Plus, my sister and I would play on a spirit board, on a Ouija board, and that probably only exacerbated things, but we had fun with it. It's always been an interest of mine, and I decided to become a paranormal investigator at the age of 17. That same year, in May of 1973, I met Edward and Lorraine Warren at a lecture they were presenting at Rhode Island College. Robert Hassall, Rhode Island College. I was listening to these folks speak, and I said, that's what I want to be when I grow up. I want to be a paranormal investigator. I want to be a demonologist. I want to explore these dark mysteries want to uh, examine the hidden and the mysterious. So that's how I got into it originally, you know, with my introduction to the Warrens. Not that I ever tried to be like them. I mean, you know, because they were very different in their methods. Their approach was different than mine, but uh, they inspired me to be sure. Well, you know what, Carl? If they ever make a movie about you guys, I'll play you. How about oh, that? Oh, please do. <laughs> make you. me look good. <laughs> play the younger me. Yeah. <laughs> Talk intelligently like me, yeah, please do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Eric, you can play James. You got the beard thing. Like, all I'll be, I'll all be, right, be. we got it. A duo movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coming to a theater to you, duo. I'm playing the part already. I'm just trying to learn. I'm just, yeah. I'm all right. Uh, I want to bring it. Just say, homie, homie, home. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I got the I went to see Yeah. Only because you brought it up, Carl. Um, I know Olivia down here, um, me and her get into some arguments about stuff like this. I'm more of a skeptic. Okay. That's just me. Um, with the Ouija board stuff. Uh, I know like a lives a lot like, no, I've seen this. Trust me. And I'm like, well, it was probably this. It was probably that. What do you, how do you differentiate when somebody says a demon is in a house or it's just a fiction of imagination? Liv, you could jump in with questions if you want, if you have any. Sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes there's a fine line between the imaginal and the practical of what's really happening. Ouija boards do not intimidate me. I've experimented on them this year. They didn't burn my fingers. You know, there can be two principles at work with a Ouija board. You know, that's the you know, generic term, but you know. um, either you're getting, you know, like impulses through your fingers. Now you may absorb some information psychically, 
you know, which would make it legitimate, but it's your little impulses from your fingers. If you don't touch the planchette at all, odds are it's not going to move, except one time I saw a little disc fly off a Ouija board plate, but uh, you got to touch it, so it'll apply some pressure. It's either impulses from your finger, consciously or subconsciously, if somebody's contriving it, just making it happen, or if, you know, they don't know they're doing it, little, little jars from your fingers are making that push around, and you might even be getting some psychic impression. Also, it could be a poltergeist. Poltergeist is a real phenomenon of that I'm phenomenon of that I'm convinced. And maybe it's very subtle. Maybe it doesn't always throw chairs around and move armoires. Sometimes a poltergeist can get into that little planchette and help it move around, especially if it's convincing you it's a spirit. Well, it will be a spirit at that point. But maybe that's how the poltergeist wants to get through and communicate with you because they have an intelligence about them. Uh, they don't do complex math, higher math, but they can communicate. <clears throat> I think you've either got impulses through your fingers from the subconscious or through a second impression, second impression, or it's some kind of subtle poltergeist activity. Mm. That's what I think. They don't bother me. Yeah. Spirit he, he, he uses them. I don't necessarily, I have the same belief as him of why they occur. I just don't use it because I find it laughable. I don't f feel like it's a necessary applicable tool to use to communicate the spirit. So I just won't use it in that uh, natural sense. So you don't sleep with one under your I pillow is what I, you're I, saying. I, no. I don't either. I wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. Now let me let me ask you guys this because I'm I'm kind of like Scott. I'm a little skeptical. Oh, well, well, you're, no, you're not like me. Like, yeah. He's, he's got the body. You can't play Carl Johnson in the movie. <laughs> I can't. You're right. I'm a little skeptical when it comes to anything that has to do with, um, just for lack of a better term, ghosts. Um, I, I'm a firm believer in extra dimensional beings, uh, aliens, wherever you want to call, wherever they're from, some other form of intelligent life that maybe we can't see necessarily because of the, the dimension that we're in, the limitations that we have. Um, now, when these things come back, you know, depending on, because I noticed you guys use the term poltergeist, right? So you use poltergeist, there are demons, and then there are ghosts. So what is the significant difference between the three of those terms? Uh, well, so there's actually many different characteristics, but the one thing we should state is that none of this is empirical, none of this is fact. So you're right to be skeptical yeah. about it because it is approach, it is considered a pseudoscience. Uh, you know, it's not considered by the scientific field to be uh, a true thing. But mm -hmm. fortunately, the one thing that you can look at is human civilization to the Sumerian times, the Mesopotamian mm -hmm. times, they had ideas of spirit. So it's been an ideology that's been around for a very, very, very long time. It could be the concept of humans, but in some form of fashion, uh, people have observed this. Scientists have observed this. Even uh, a brilliant mind like Nikolai Tesla had, yep. uh, had beliefs that ghosts existed. Uh, Thomas Edison attempted uh, by communicating the spirits, never fully developed it, but the spirit phone. So the, there's these people of very smart nature, um, even Charles Dickens, who wrote A Christmas Carol, the reason we have Christmas in America. He was a ghost investigator, spirit, uh, paranormal investigator. But there are different characteristics. A poltergeist is, they easily say it, is generated by the human mind. It's something that is created uh, by perception, um, usually seen in adolescence because of the nature that they are developing. And it, it is some sort of 
Um, and some people say it is some sort of like psychic uh, tantrum. They're pushing something away from them. Psychic but tantrum, I like that. It's not physical. Uh, they're not physically throwing a bottle. It's something that's unseen. So that's what a poltergeist is. A demon, uh, of course, is the nature where it is something that is evil. Um, in Christian uh, uh, terms, uh, it is something that is fallen as a fallen angel um, due to the pride of Lucifer from fallen from God's graces. And then there's ghosts, but there's actually ghosts then spirits. So there's differences between the terminologies, yeah. the different characteristical uh, ways of kind of looking at it. As uh, you said, um, aliens. A lot of people tend to uh, get aliens, especially with what we do as demonologists. I had to call MUFON on uh, a case of mine because somebody called me in because they thought it was demonic possession. And in, in, in fact, I tend to believe it was something of that nature of, of alien abduction. And mm -hmm. I called other specialists in. So I do believe um, these things exist in many different forms and spectrums. Mm -hmm. um, it just takes a lot of documentation. And uh, unfortunately, I tend to lead, and I like your skeptical approach, but I tend to lead to that that ninety percent or a high ninety percent of it's all natural. It's it's mm -hmm. it's generated by natural occurrences by the human mind or things that exist that we just people don't understand, but they they naturally exist. What and how how about a melding between the paranormal and the psychological? You know, those are two separate disciplines or separate beliefs. Mm -hmm. But suppose someone can synthesize a spirit through belief in that spirit entity. You believe the ghost is there. Something emanates from your mind, and the mind is a remarkable instrument, of course. Yeah, like a manifestation. Yeah, and you create that. Yeah. Willfully or not, or maybe there's a blending of something that's really out there and another dimension gets pulled in here, and that combines with what your mind is projecting, and bang, you have your ghost or your demon it's a construct, a synthesized entity that has a rudimentary consciousness can act volitionally, or it seems like it has that volition. Mm -hmm. You've made a ghost. You've grown it. And uh, yeah. maybe, maybe it will stay around for years, maybe hours. Don't know. There's the famous Philip experiment where they actually created this ghost entity. They, they acted as though they believed in it, and it became real. They, you know, they had seances. They called off Philip. They gave him a whole history. You know, this... Uh, man of the Renaissance, who had uh, thrown himself off a tower over guilt, and he was a ghost, and, you know, he, he never existed, this Philip. But they created him, and it behaved just like a ghost you'd conjure up at a seance, or, you know, some poltergeist activity, mm -hmm. which begs the question, this Philip they conjured, which I believe they got genuine results, does Philip still exist somewhere? Is he real now? Or if somebody tried that experiment again, and they used Philip, but they make that connection, and Philip is already fueled, already powered. He exists on some level as a construct. Maybe they'd have an easier time calling in Philip. Mm. All speculation. That's what's fun about paranormal. You can go on and speculate. Okay. And Absolutely. And, and I think even me using the term saying I'm skeptical about it is kind of maybe the wrong term to use because I think there's a really large part of me that wants to believe because I don't think anything is really impossible. Like, Look, we don't really even know how we got here. So how can we be 100% yeah, sure good yes or no that ghosts don't exist or they do exist or whatever it is? I'll, I'll share this with you guys real quick because I just want to get your take on it. This, sure. is something, this is something that happened to me, and I don't even think any of you guys know this. When I was a little kid, I might have been, I think, six, seven years old maybe. And um, 
You guys I broke him. Been... You guys broke him. Congratulations. What? Broke Brian. <laughs> He's giving us some information. I love yeah. it. Go. He's, He's going to confess now. Yeah. Tell us what you really no, did. No, Listen. No, like I said, I was about six or seven years old. No, I'll get through it quick. Um, and I remember there was a, a series of nights I kept waking up and waking up every single night for about a week or two weeks. I have no idea why. I continued to wake up at the same time. It was like somewhere around 3, 3.11 in the morning, something like that. I would always notice the clock, right? So towards the end of this whole ordeal, on the last one of the last days that I woke up at this time, I woke up and my body was like frozen. And there was this – it was like a white – like cloud over top of me and I couldn't move and it sounds ridiculous but it was a woman with long hair and she just was like right next to my face not breathing not saying anything and I I felt I couldn't scream I couldn't get out of the bed I couldn't do anything and in the same second that I saw her there she was then gone like that but then for years after, and this is, it would be extremely inconsistent. I would wake up on the back of my arms, like here, I would have two perfect X's on the back of my arms and scratches. And it would just, <laughs> every single time it would happen, like I would kind of just look in the mirror and I'm like, ah, it happened again. But uh, there was never anything else that went on. Now, what was your guys' take on that? Really quick, I would pay good money for you guys to perform an exorcism on Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would fucking pay you. Guys. The holy water out of my <laughs> yeah. it's not, I, I used to have the same thing, Brian. But I looked it up. I let them actually. I let yeah, them go look. on. I'm interested. <laughs> what could that be? What could that be? Well, there's such a thing as sleep paralysis, where you know the brain emits a neural, you know, generates a neural paralyzer, and you kind of you're going, you can have hypnagogic. Hypnopobget, uh, hallucination. On a word that you can't say the first time. Oh, I had to say it twice, yeah. <laughs> Hypnopognit, yeah, it, that takes a while. Sounds like a disease or yes. something, you know, it's a condition. But uh, having said that, I believe your, his experience was genuine. I think he was really in touch or was contacted by or drew the interest of something from another dimension, something quasi-human. You know, something that I don't think demonic necessarily, but I think something that was maybe had a terrestrial life, was alive at one point. I think you had a spirit mm. who was interested in you. I really do, uh, from what you describe, and that's how it gave its signature. That's the best it could do, the only way it could manifest besides you seeing it sometimes. Mm. Because you didn't experience other things with it. You know, this didn't no. follow you through all your head. Plus, you were, what, six, seven years old when you saw this? Yeah. We're open to it then. Our, our channels get shut off for seeing spirits. You know, like my little nephew, when he was uh, three and a half years old and four years old, he, he was waving this. He was talking to somebody, and his older brother said, Oh, he has an imaginary friend. Because he was saying, He's here. He's here. And then when we were leaving, he said, Bye. Bye. And he would do that, but he doesn't have any recollection of it. So I think those channels get shut off. My opinion, you can't know. You can always put it up to, you know, hallucination during dreaming. I think you really did see something. I think you had something that could connect with you at that time, was aware you could see it, and then it just went away. You can't see it anymore mm -hmm. unless you really made a point to. Now, if we perform an exorcism over him, how do you know those scratches, those X's are going to come back? You know, oh, yes. You don't want to do that. I'm talking. 
they were the X's. They were perfectly symmetrical mm-hmm. on the back of my on the back of my triceps. Like, there's no way in my sleep that I could. Yeah, yeah. I would have to roll over and do it. Per- like it would. That was the only thing that freaked me out. Like the first time it happened, when I turned and looked in the mirror, and I was just like, and I'm talking like these weren't like, like oh, I was just faint red scratches. Like they were very pronounced, mm-hmm. and like. I woke up and my dad had said something to me one time and he was like, what's on the back of your arm? And I was like, I don't know. These, I, I woke up like this. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, usually a time when spirit you, does communicate, you everybody jumps to the conclusion that it's going to uh, audibly speak to you or uh, manifest you in some form or fashion. Sometimes it's communication through a mark or some form of physical uh, act. But when it comes to sleep paralysis, which tends to lean towards that in some form or format when we're dealing with these situations, we tend to make sure people do get sleep studies done or other things like that. Because one of the things Carl and I do specifically is when we deal with cases is we try to eliminate the natural before we even jump to uh, supernatural, the paranormal, the supernatural, whatever you like to coin it as. We really like to target the natural first because, like we said, I think, Carl, very similar in nature of understanding what is natural compared to what truly could exist on another realm. So, you know, it's definitely an interesting experience. I've never had it personally, so I don't know how it, how that feels, of course, but um, I, could, I could imagine it being very eye-opening for you at six, seven years old. Oh, yeah, in the beginning. I mean, I would say the most recently it happened – not not the full X's on the back of my arms, but as far as, like, cuts on my body, like, that's still something that happens to this day. Mm. Like, did, did you ever recollect to maybe it's somebody, that, like, a loved one, somebody lost? Have you ever sought out um, a, a representation to a, a physical person that maybe existed in your life or existed in somebody parental, somebody parental, like, have you ever tried to look at that before? He's wondering if someone you knew. Yeah. When you were or younger. like a family member. Well, I mean, the only thing I could tell, my mom died eight years ago. But, I mean, this was happening while she was still alive. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was, I, I mean, like I said, it was from when I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. And now it's, it's like very sporadic. It's really spread out now. But, I mean, I'll still get the cuts occasionally. And they'll always be in the same spots. It's never anywhere different. I look at it like this is a lot of people would get freaked out. And this is, I think where um, people start to kind of go down the downward spiral and it gets worse. Um, But if, of course, if it's happening and you're, you're well nurtured with it and you're like, you're not like scared to your life and it's something you might live with the rest of your life and, or one day it might just stop. Yeah. See, that's the thing about it too. Like I've never, when I was a little kid, I was kind of a little freaked out by it, but then it got to be something that I never really thought about anymore. And I was like, I, this, my logic to it was if they're ghosts and they're only giving me these little scratches, they can't kill me. So what am I going to be afraid of? Hmm. And so then it would, when it would happen again, I would kind of like, I'd get up and I'd look in the mirror and here I am like 21 years old and I get the scratches and I'm like, I came back again last night. For the demon in Brian's house right now, you heard him. He's challenging you. He does not think you're tough <laughs> yep, enough to not kill afraid. him, attack him. Uh, before I get to the question I have, um, uh, anyone else have any, like, sleep I've stories? I've got, like, right? five questions. I've got, like, five. Okay. Liv, Liv, go Liv, first. Go, go, Liv, go, go, go. Yeah, you got to let Jamie, you got to let the person playing James talk. Come on, Eric. <laughs> go on. Um, this will be quick. So... Uh, 
I think I had a sleep paralysis moment like a couple years ago, but I've never forgotten it because like I am so aware of like watching all these scary movies and stuff and shows that like it could be a spirit and it's kind of like maybe I'm tricking myself to wanting it to be but like I was sleeping one like one night and like late into the morning um I like woke up and like I could only open my eyes and I couldn't yell it felt like someone was sitting on my back and I couldn't move and it was like maybe a couple minutes and I was shook to my core and I swear it was a spirit or something but now as i got older i'm like maybe it's sleep paralysis so i was kind of bummed i think in some form of fashion if you're watching those movies and, and intertwined with that reality um some forth it's sometimes the gullibility not to say this meanly but sometimes it's uh, we enact that in our dreams and sometimes we wake up during our dreams uh there was a show called Evil, um, and one of the things that they did in the show, it's one of the things that we recommend, too, if you're having these issues and you're having sleep paralysis. A lot of the times you're actually dreaming, um, and you think you're awake, but you're really not. Um, where we tell you to put a bracelet on before you go to bed, and if the bracelet's on, you know you're awake. If the bracelet's not there, that means you're in a dreamlike state. It's like the Inception. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I was going to piggyback off that because I used to have that too for like a couple of years. I was after I graduated college, probably 23, 24, but I would lay down and I remember I, I feel like something was sitting on my chest, but I would feel like the need to lift up as well. And I would look in the corner of the house and I, and I was like, this is kind of weird. It happened a lot. And then that one night I woke, I felt like I was getting lifted up going, ah, and I woke up to the noise of me saying ah, that, right? So then my ex-girlfriend was into all this stuff. So she lit sage around my room and the whole house. And it never happened again. So you would think it's psychological, but in my dream, I'm not, you know, it's like somebody's like, hey, uh, you know, uh, switch your socks or something like that and you'll bat better. That's psychologically in your head. But when you're asleep, you're not having that type of, you know, yeah. cognitive thing. So I just didn't know if you guys knew anything. The sage help against goats. I guess that's my question. Yeah. Sage? <laughs> uh, I like sage. It smells good. It smells like pot. It smells like pot. Yes, it does. Sage has purifying elements to it. Uh, I don't know how really, you know, effective it, it is on its own, you know, what the merits of the actual chemical of the plant are, but um, it, it just, it, traditionally, the tradition becomes real. If you burn sage, you believe it's going to be helpful. Chances are it will scare the bad spirits away. I don't think it has the power on its own, you know, but if the person using it believes that the subject, the owner of the house believes it is probably going to be effective. Yeah. Yeah, again, association. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, um, a old, uh, old theory created by a movement called new thought and it was called laws of attraction. So if you're doing a positive motion to rid something that could be negatively influencing your life, um, then you're putting positivity in your life. So, it's possible. Sage could be possible, but in the same token, it, you have to have the intent and belief in what you're doing behind it for it to work. That'll give it its motor. If, if not, if not, you're just you're just. It's like lighting up your bong or lighting up your bowl or whatever, or lighting up a candle. It's like whatever brings you like nuance, like into your life. Uh, it's like because you said the pot comment. I had to go there. Yeah, but um, I started it, that. You did start it. But it is in that same nuance that if you invoke something that's going to positively uh, 
reciprocate in your life, then it's going to help. It's a, it's a form of psychotherapy as well. It's therapeutic um, because for, for some it would work as long as they believed in it, like Carl said. Guys, okay. I, have a, I have a question. Okay. And you don't have to say it. Listen, I'm, I, like I said, I'm a little skeptical, um, but I still won't do Bloody Mary or the Candyman. I, I'm one of those guys. Like, I won't do it. I'm not doing it, even though I'm one of those, like, I have to see it to believe it type things. Um, is there anything, whether it be the Annabelle doll, the Dybbuk's box, that's just full of shit that you guys think? Like, no, nah, this is not real. This is full of shit. This is a fabrication. Anything you can tell us, like, or you believe in it all. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean that in the uh, nicest way. I really do. Well, it sounds real nice. I love the subtle way you <laughs> eased into that, you know, without, you know, rattling anybody's cage. You know? <laughs> Don't want to offend anybody. You just, you know, hint at it. Yeah, so <laughs> before, uh, before Carl goes into depth, uh, you know, right. I would like to say is um, – I don't know if Carl actually ever had the opportunity, but I actually, um, as a deacon with the uh, Catholic Church, I actually have blessed uh, the Warren Museum and been in the presence of Annabelle numerous times, actually. Um, very well uh, adequated with the Warren uh, legacy, uh, Tony right. Sparrow and uh, Nesper. So I've been around, thankfully, and uh, I really can't say no com I have to say no comment on that. Right, right. But as far as the Divic box, um, you just look at the um, reasons of how it came forth to pop culture. Um, it was a person that uh, claimed that this Divic was in this box. And Divics are legitimate. They're part of Judaistic belief. Um, there are a lot of souls that were possessed because of negative repercussions that would happen in their life. So they were seeking out in some form of fashion. But the Divic box was then taken by this man and then sold on eBay. Mm. Um, I, will, I will say that, uh, unfortunately, Divics have been known to be trapped in items uh, through rabbis uh, in, in previous rituals throughout time. Um, but the, the form of where the Divic box came to uh, pop culture and then the movie Sam Raimi made on it right. um, tends to be more BS. And, of course, the items that you find on eBay that are haunted dolls, unfortunately, I would probably say are BS because – um yeah uh what's your take on it carl you have a book on it don't you what's your book yeah. about it what's your book? I, I do have a book it is called uh, it's called demon what is what is the name shadow realms sorry yeah shadow realms demonology handbook it's a primer on demonology it's not the definitive work on demonology shadow realms you know uh mm -hmm. the title sums up what it is it's to bring into a paranormal investigation it's to research and it's uh it's a series of essays and case histories, which might be helpful to right. a paranormal investigator, especially somebody who finds himself in a hairy situation that's thought to be or evaluated as demonic. But what do I think is BS? Annabelle. Really? And like that shit, that, shit, that shit to me is like the most, I was going to ask, how terrifying was that to be in the presence of that? I wouldn't oh, want that shit in my house. Well, look at how it's dressed up. The doll has a <laughs> reputation. It's kept in a glass case. Do not touch. Danger. As if it's electric. Yeah, I don't think it's uh, – I just don't take that seriously. Now, I wouldn't take it out of its case and shake it up, say, see, no problem, no, unless I was getting very well paid for a lecture on I do it, you know. But yeah. generally, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't challenge it because that could create a lodestone within my mind. Then if I back into the fire hydrant, which I would do anyway, you know <laughs> – 
or you know, roll over the puppy or something, then it's going to oh, no. be, oh, it's because I, <laughs> Annabelle, I didn't mean it. Something in my mind is going to tell me that. I'm right. sorry, Annabelle. But I normally don't put any credence in them. It's just, uh, it's uh, hocus pocus. It's falderal. Now, if somebody took it out of its case and as a jokester tossed it to me, I'd get very funny and I'd put it back. Right. Well, you, know, you can't touch Annabelle without terrible repercussion. But then again, there's a famous picture of the Warrens who curated that museum and collected these items. Ed and Lorraine Warren together and Lorraine's holding the doll like, like a child's doll. You know, and I guess she's immune to that. The Warrens, uh, uh, the Warrens had impunity to that. You know, so I, I don't take them seriously. I don't right. think the power resides in the object. It's just one's association with it. Even a Raggedy Ann doll, which is what uh, Annabelle is, can be fearsome when it's got the reputation. Let's just I wish be you honest. Challenge it. All dolls are terrifying. I think I've mentioned before. I had an MC Hammer doll when <laughs> 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 I was a kid, and it was horrifying. I yeah, absolutely horrifying. Yeah. So, oh, I have one more question. Woke up in the middle of the night, and he was forced to hammer time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was, I was like, you can't <laughs> Well, that, you should have it in a case that is last case. Don't, don't touch, touch this. this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can't touch this. Can't touch this. I have I have one more uh, question for you guys. Um, what do you think's the best adaptation to a character that's scary as shit in one of these movies? To me, it's the nun in the Conjuring. Like that that character is just frightening looking. Um, so, like, what do you think, like, they did the best at creating in one of these movies that were, like, wow, this is really, like, make sure. I got my opinion. Yeah. James has an opinion. You got yours. I like your opinion. I think I know what ones he's going to pick. So I won't pick the one he picks. Thank you. You know which one. But I will pick one of the movies that's based on a true story and based on a real person, even though it is a character. Uh, one of my favorites, of course, is The Right, which is a great movie, but actually I have to say it's Possession of Emily Rose. Okay. Um, a great movie. Um, it's based on the story of Annalise McCall and just what's interpreted in that movie, what 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 happened, and uh, things that occurred in the true case. I think that is definitely the most scary and uh, uh, one of the greatest adaptations of demonic possession uh, in cinema. What's your take? Well, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say Annalise McCall. No, I thought you were going to pick the Exorcist. The Exorcist Exorcist seemed too obvious, but they're both cases, you know, they're both predicated, more realistic with the possession of Emily Rose. Uh, They're both predicated on actual cases. The Exorcist, yeah, I can say The Exorcist because it's still an effective film. Yes. And it's based on things that really did happen in classic demonic possession. It's just so well acted. It was, you know... Filmed in 1972 to 1973, yep. released the theaters early in 1974, and it's uh, I can still get the shivers looking at that because my, they, my parents, my parents, they re-released that in theaters in 1999 with uh, uh I think it was yeah 99, and my parents brought me to see it when I was 13, and my dad was yeah. my my dad was like this is the scariest movie he's ever seen, and I go oh, this ain't that bad. The minute I got home and it was time <laughs> bed, I didn't sleep all night. I literally <laughs> didn't sleep all fucking night. Because that music, that piano music that, like, goes on, oh, my God. So, Linda Blair, if you're watching, you did a great job. Come on our show. It would be a great talk. <laughs> uh, terrific acting. That's it. The, the performances in that. Max yeah. von Fido, Linda Blair, Jason Miller. You know, it's just uh... – it's just good stuff. Yeah. Tubular Bells was the song that you're talking about. Yes, Tubular Bells. Bells. That's it. Yeah. 
I, that was it. Yeah, I'm gonna make that my ringtone tonight. It's gonna be phenomenal. <laughs> I got I got a question for you guys. Now, this this might take us down a little bit of a path here, but I know you can't go there anymore. But have either one of you ever been to Skinwalker Ranch? No, unfortunately not. Watched some of the series, but no, I have not been there. No, I de- but things. that's also misinterpreted too. Uh, what really, walkers are and. But no, I we uh, that is, there is supposedly said to be have some interesting things caught there. Um, no, we have never been there though. Yeah, because you know I've I've seen so many documentaries on it. I've listened to so many podcasts of people talking about it. Um, I've listened to Jeremy Corbell talk a lot about it. But the thing that always throws me off with it is there's for all this talk and all these things that people have seen. Nobody's got pictures. Nobody's got videos. And the way they make it sound is like you literally walk up to the ranch and there's just monsters walking around. And that's not the case. That's, that's the problem with the paranormal for many, especially in the scientific field. And that's why it's interpreted as a pseudoscience because um, more things are intricate, uh, weaved to be more personal experiences mm. than actual applicable data that's collected. And that's the problem. So, you're very right, rightfully so, to say, oh, I watched all this, and uh, it's like kind of watching um, the Curse of Oak Island. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, what have they found? Like, they found little they gotta nuances perpetuate. little things. They got to keep it going. They got to keep it going. So, unfortunately, yeah. uh, I kind of agree with you. If they've been there doing all this research, where is the data? Why have yeah. they collected more? The only thing that they've ever really shown is, like, the cattle mutilations mm. and the fact that the 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 – uh, incisions are so precise mm-hmm. and they happen so quickly that uh, there's no blood left by any of the cows that are that are taken. It's just bones. They're absolutely clean. Then it happens in like no time. Yeah, I want. That's I mean, the one thing. Carl, Carl jumps on this. Uh, there's one thing that uh, was equated to be cryptid or paranormal, um, and uh, no, oh okay. no, no, one something that was cryptid. No. Something to be cryptid paranormal and to be found to be natural, something that was uh, not uh, found yet, just like the Japanese gorilla, and that was the chupacabra. That mm. came to be an actual uh, dog-like creature that they discovered, and uh, that was cryptid for a very long time, and it would uh, mutilate certain animals as well. So mm. maybe, maybe there is a natural occurrence going on, uh, something attacking this very methodically. Uh, what's your approach, okay. uh, I wanted to back up just for a second, and I thought of another uh, really disturbing character from fiction. This is not based on anything real. It's based on a graphic novel. was in the series Preacher, the Saint of Killers. i got to write that down. i got to look at that picture. Yeah, look at that. The Saint, without going into the storyline, the Saint of Killers from Preacher, based on the 2005-2006 graphic novel. The Saint of Killers, he's a really disturbing guy. Tall, shadowy, gunslinger, you know. Liv, Liv, did you have a question for him? I did. I'm very curious. I, what would you say would be, like, your most memorable, like, case? Because I'm dying to know. Well, it's kind of a scary one. It's not a pretty story. I'm ready. It's not a pretty story. Right, I got a night late, so I I could sleep at night. Well, Well, I mean, if the exorcist did a number on you, because you were in the theater for like an hour Yeah, I'm fucking doomed already. I'm already, I'm a (laughs) lot Yeah. um, It was a case that occurred 
and it was uh, my second residential case. The first was the Conjuring House, you know, uh, the, the farmhouse on Ron Top Road. Uh, that was spooky. I wouldn't say it was terrifying. It had its moments. I could be alone in that and alone in the room there and not be driven out, but then, you know, I really feel too scared. But the, the most riveting case and perhaps most memorable, the one I learned most one from, was a case that occurred in Providence, Rhode Island. This was back, way back in 1980. It was, you know, shortly after the Conjuring House involvement. And uh, there was, the subject was a 14-year-old boy. This was in the West End of Providence. And even at that time, I had a reputation of someone who had investigated the situation and stand his ground. So I was called in by the family whom I knew. This boy was undergoing episodes uh, where it, it sounded like schizophrenia combined with epilepsy. Uh, an invasive personality was taken over. That's all I was told, except the origin was that he was walking in a cemetery in the West End of Providence in the Armory District. Uh, he found a woman's glove in the cemetery, picked it up, took it home. That's when the chaos started. He tried to bring it back to the cemetery, but the glove had vanished. So he started to undergo these fits. Now, he's 14 years of age. I'm figuring this is a transitional period. He's, he's going through some adjustment. But I agreed to stay overnight in that house and observe. Now, I don't know if that was foolish of me. Now it seems it was. But all right, I spent the night in that house. It was a three-story house in the West End. And... Uh, the boy's room was adjacent to where I was sleeping. I reclined on a sofa, a sofa out there, and uh, pretty close to his room. So around 1 a.m., I was starting to nod off. Suddenly, I was startled into awareness by this shrill scream. It was the boy screaming, and he sounded like he was being flayed alive. There's no way you can pre prepare for that. You know, I didn't know he was going to stab one of his episodes there. I didn't know what these episodes were like. He was screaming. So I, right away, I think, oh, this is happening. He's having a night terror. I flipped on the, the walls, felt for the wall switch, flipped on the overhead light in time to see that boy's bedroom door just swing open on its own. And his body was propelled out of the room. He was thrown out of it. His body was spinning in the air and then on the floor like a top. There's just no way you can explain that by a seizure, by an epileptic fit. No. He was thrown around the room, screaming, terrified. Then he did a backwards flip onto the couch where I'd been reclining. He started to jump up and down and flap his hands. This deep growl of a laugh came out of his throat. Then he turned towards me. You want, it was like I was looking into the face of hell. It seems like his gums had receded. It was very quick, very brief, but his pupils were tiny dots, if you could see any pupils at all. And he turned that face to me, that ferocious visage, and he jumped at me. I held him down. I was trying to restrain him without injuring him. I was my usual 200-plus pounds. Well, he pushed me right off of him. And then he came out of his fit, and he was trembling and, and crying, calling for his uncle. This was no act. This was no facade. So we decided to arrange We couldn't perform a whole, an outright rite of exorcism but we arranged for an expulsion, which is a form of minor exorcism, attempting to drive out the invading spirit. That happened one week later, and it was on the first floor of this house. What a horrendous scene. Um, when it started, clergy was involved. There's some uh, minister saying prayers. Uh, seats were arranged in a semicircle, and a makeshift altar was set up in the parlor room, 
And the boy was standing next to the altar looking kind of apprehensive. Okay, when the chanting stopped, the expulsion began. And as it did, the whole floor shook. It was like the house was groaning. That floor visibly and audibly shook. It, it was, I was thinking, earth tremor? Is there a truck going by? It was that palpable, that audible. But we could feel it. We could feel it shaking. Then it stopped, became eerily silent. Then my chair, I was in the center of the semicircle. My chair with me in it moved all the way back across the room to the wall. I hardly had a chance to be startled. My, head, my chair just slid back. That boy fell to the floor. His eyes rolled back. What an ordeal over the next hour and a half. Uh, prayers were offered. He was restrained. Uh, my brother was present. He could unfortunately have no actual documentation of that. It's just it several people there can corroborate my story. And uh, it even had a comic moment in it. There was a bowl of holy water set out near the altar. So at one point, the boy, under his fit of possession, took that bowl of holy water and doused me with it. My brother said I just wiped my eyes like that, you know. And uh, Not so funny, though, was when I, uh, I suddenly felt this onrush of emotion that was alien to me. It, it, it was not me. I felt rage and terror. All the time I'm analyzing and I'm staying removed from it trying to maintain objectivity. And I just forced, I said, this is not me. I do not need to feel this. But if I had given into it, I would have jumped out a window. So I just whittled it away from me and I felt in the back of my head, the rear of my head, it felt like fingers, it was pulled out of me. It seemed to go into a young woman in the next room. She fell to the floor, started pulling out her hands, or her hair by the handful. So what, what a scene. You know, we ended up with scratches and bruises and all that. But after, and I, we commanded, it was my idea to command the spirit to leave. I said, give us a sign. Give us a sign that you're leaving. Well, I don't know what I had to do with it, but a window shade rolled up, and it seemed like the window opened. I could not quite remember if that window was shut all the way, but it uh, probably was. The shade went up, the window opened, and to me that was a sign that the spirit was leaving, that it was banished, that it was warded away. And the boy came to himself exhausted, and it was successful. Now, there were psychological ramifications, but things you could not explain away. Uh, I think out of that whole night of the expulsion, the thing which got to me the most, really unsettled me, was there was a picture of Jesus on a table there. I was standing next to it. I just happened to turn around. When I looked, it was upside down. That picture of Jesus had flipped around. I didn't see it happen, but that made it all the more eerie that I didn't see that picture. It silently it inverted itself. So there was something really unwholesome there. Religious pictures were just coming off the walls, lamp tipped over on its own. Uh, it was like a scene out of The Exorcist. So that was, uh, it was so long ago, but a vivid memory. And I just wanted to leave, I'll tell you. I wanted to get out of there, Eric, and just like get to the car, I said, I don't belong here. I don't feel right about this. What am I going to do as if I'm some kind of expert? Um, but I stayed with it. I forced that, that control. I looked at this person, the subject. I looked him in the eyes with authority. If I had left, which I almost did, I said, I don't want this freaky scene. How nice it would be to just drive back to my house 20 minutes away but, and you know, just have something to eat and go to bed and leave these people to their own devices. But I knew if I did that, 
it wouldn't inspire any confidence in the people I was trying to help, for one thing. Would I ever be able to go back into such a situation if I left that time? Because what's scary about this is the element of the unknown, the unexpected. You don't know what's going to happen minute to minute. And I already been through one freaky scene upstairs, you know, across from his bedroom. But I stuck with it because I have to. I'll never be able to address a situation like this again if I get out of there. So I belied my own instinct, overrode my own instincts, and just uh, stayed with it. And it helped. He was better. Part of it was the psychodrama, I'm sure. Part of it was convincing him that the demon was, or the spirit was gone. But something left that room, and boy, you could feel it. Leave that room. It got brighter. You could actually see it brighten in that room. Do you think it also gave you a sense of, um, I don't want to say accomplishment, but seeing uh, the entire process? Like you're saying, like if you would have left and you would have been like, I don't want to be a part of this, and you go home and like you would always be wondering what if. What, what happened? Like, what ended up happening? Do you think that you maybe got a sense of, um, I want to say calm, seeing the conclusion of it and saying, okay, it left. Like, we accomplished what we set out to do. There was certainly, I'm glad you asked that. There was certainly a sense of accomplishment, but nothing that smacked of hubris. I, I was, I was humbled by this experience. Mm -hmm. I went out to my car and cried. I didn't want anybody to see that. I just, with, with exhaustion. You know, and relief. Yeah, now, I honestly think, I don't know, but I suspect that if I had left prematurely, if I just left that first 10 minutes like I wanted to, that boy, that boy might have ended his life that night. It was that bad. He was looking around for some implement to stab himself with. We had to make sure all the anything sharp was out of there. Eventually, he found some, a shard of crockery and tried to injure himself with that. But if there had been a knife there, which, you know, you could not even realize there's a blade out there. He could have been seriously or fatally injured himself. I think I, I don't want to say saved his life. I think I saved that household. I was instrumental. I know I did play a part in that, an important part. He might not be alive if I had left. And that I knew at the time, well, I suspected at the time. I was very glad I stayed there. I said, I don't know if what I did was right, but it helped. And it doesn't matter, you know, I don't need to know it was right. It, it yeah. made a difference. Now you, now, you said that this was, and like this, hearing this entire story is extremely compelling. It's very explicit. Um, now you said that this is an expulsion. This is not even an exorcism. So right. how, how much further does it go if it's an exorcism? Well, James can address that. I mean, I can answer that, too. There's the rite, uh, it's a ritualis romano, and it is uh, a rite that is 400-plus years old. Uh, James is educated in it. James is not sanctioned to perform it, but James is familiar with it. Uh, I think I'll turn it over to him for a yeah, while. Uh, most definitely. Uh, to get to what Carl talked about, he fortunately had a great experience where it ended well. Uh, my first time in my most scariest case did not end well. And it was a case that I actually was brought in by a psychologist. Usually we call upon physicians and uh, psychotherapists and the specialists to get involved because we want to exit out the natural. Um, at that time, I did not necessarily believe in demons. I thought it was like something you see in the movies. I did believe, maybe believe in spirits or ghosts, but I thought demons were laughable. Uh, I was like, this does not exist. Sounds fanciful. Sounds fancy, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, full of fantasy. Uh, so I was called in uh, by a psychologist. I had never come across something I would quote unquote call demonic. 
And I did not know what to expect. I, I, this was many, many years ago where I did not have as much experience uh, as now I do, but still not full of the experience. I, you know, there's always more to learn. And when I hit that property, and this was in Salem, Massachusetts, I felt uh, sick. I felt uh, something punched me in the solar plexus over and over again, um, even though there was nothing really necessarily punching me. Um, and, but I'm used to that feeling. I took martial arts for many, many years in my life, and I, I know the feeling of getting hit. It wasn't comfortable. Um, I had the fight or flight chemical reaction that happened. My body and my mind's telling me get the hell out of here. But I'm stupid, so I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be here. I'm gonna see what's here. Uh, if this family really needs me, I'm gonna stay. Um, so I get into this location, and of course, I, I have to be. Uh, quaint on with what I say because there was a lot of HIPAA uh, uh, related stuff and it didn't end well, uh, like I said. So basically some of the things that occurred, uh, like Carl had stated with uh, his 14-year-old boy in Providence, some of the things that occurred were basically transfiguration of the face, the face, the cheekbones uh, pointed out, uh, the eyes fully dilated black. he had, uh, I would maybe say strength beyond adrenaline where I had two guys that usually go with people because you never know what you're going to come across. You don't know if you're dealing with crazy people. You don't know if they have a cage in their basement ready for you to trap you. And you're in like the next episode of human centipede. I definitely do not want that to happen. It's my dream. Oh uh, gosh. I had, I, had, I had two guys that were like 350 pounds, uh, 300 plus pounds, and they former bouncers. And um, at one point, they had to restrain this man because he actually launched a kitchen table at me that broke kind of like split in half. Um, and it, it was just a crazy situation. Um, and he was able to. Um, I don't know if it was dislocating his shoulder or some way able to outstruggle these two big men. And my, mind you, he was 22 years old. Um, I'm 165 pounds. He probably weighed probably about 180, 190. So much not, not much bigger than me. Um, and we had these two big Goliath guys on him. He was able to outstruggle them. Um, I heard a pop, so I, I, I pointed to him dislocating his shoulder, but he was able to reach me. Uh, one of the craziest things um, Carl said about the Jesus picture was that it was inverted. I had a set of rosaries that was specially made for me uh, by uh, Jet, uh, this guy Jeff, who actually owned Luxury Laces, who actually made rosaries for guys like uh, Paulie D and Mike, the situation. So I had a special rosary made for me by this guy, and it was, you know it meant a lot to me. And so I noticed a lot, uh, a lot of time afterwards to see if I could repair these rosaries where he grabbed the rosaries, the metal was tarnished and only the spots that it was broken and where he had touched it, which is not possible by the human touch by any nature. So that happened. Um, of course, one investigators that were there before I got involved, um, this dark figure came out of the closet and started pulling this person towards the closet. Um, this person was very adequate in, in knowledge of Latin. And, um, of course, Latin is a language you can learn. You can look it up. It's on Rosetta Stone. It's on Google Translate. So it's possible to learn it. But for somebody that is, uh, I don't want to say well-versed in it, but can use it in prayer, um, this person could speak it better than I could. Mm. So there's all these things that uh, kind of uh, rolled up into this ball. Um, an exorcism was not done on this person, um, but a deliverance was done. 
So some of those are some of the things that I dealt with, but the largest thing that happened at the end of it, and this is what is noted being uh, a lot of true demonic cases, is that a lot of people that were involved in that case, fellow investigators in the course of psychologists, and um, some people I would call really dear friends, um, we, 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 there was a fracture in our relationship um, and we all started, well, I necessarily didn't, but they all started bashing each other, bashing me. Um, a lot of different things had happened. Unfortunately, like I said, we weren't able to help that person because um, things were taken out of my hands. And at that point, um, I do not know what happened to that person. Um, so, but in that nature to what you were saying, Brian, uh, about exorcisms, uh, expulsion could be considered uh, a, in the same form as a deliverance where it's a prayer over somebody in an emergency situation that is done to relieve or disconnect this person from this uh, attachment or from this oppressing force. Uh, while an exorcism, solemn rite of exorcism, would be equivocally done on somebody that is dealing with transient possession or perfect possession, I do in fact believe this person was dealing with demonic possession, but like Carl said, I am not an exorcist. I am versed in it, but that doesn't give me the right to perform an exorcism either. Um, because there are so many things that you have to approach in that standard before you jump to that. So in that emergency situation, because he did, um, his personality did change, and uh, we do believe that this uh, entity did take over this person, we had to, uh, of course, do a deliverance uh, in that situation. But um, there's also another form of exorcism called a minor exorcism which is done on a house or a location when there is demonic infestation. And that is when the property is uh, infested by this demonic force. There's, so there's many different steps, there's many different rituals. Um, and in fact, uh, even though a lot of people tend to relate exorcism as a Catholic thing, it is uh, as a big denotion, uh, uh, a Christian thing, but it is also in Hinduism, it's in Buddhism, it's in uh, uh, Judaic uh, belief, all cultures, uh, is, Islam, Islamic folklore, Islamic belief. Um, so uh, there, there's so many different civilizations and belief that had this form of uh, um, possibility of expelling uh, deities or entities. So, uh, but in that case, in my case, a deliverance was done. But that is the differences. Um, uh, Carl, I don't think, have you ever been part of uh, a true solemn rite of exorcism? Not at this time. No, I, I ha even though I'm Catholic, I have not either. Most of the time when an uh, exorcist comes in, um, usually they have another priest and they have uh, people they've selected be there. Uh, and I have not actually seen one performed, but I, I do, I, my, which you guys, if you watch the paranormal televisions, my bishop is actually Bishop James Long. He's a peer at Ghost Adventures, Portals to Hell, and he is, in fact, an exorcist. And he tells me many stories, um, and they're very horrifying. But I've been involved with possessed people, and, and in itself is horrifying as well. Now, every, is it true every, every church has their own exorcist? I've heard that. Like every church has, or you might not know which priest it is, but every church has a priest that is versed in exorcism. Is that true? Uh, Do you know that? No, that's not true. There's other Christian formats, like uh, Baptists and Lutherans and stuff like that, might have like a deliverance minister. They would they, they would call them, but they perform deliverances. They're not forms of. It could be considered a form of exorcism or expelling. Mm. Um, but actually, the Catholic Church. Uh, I would say, uh, this is a made-up number, so don't quote me on this, but uh, from my understanding and my dealings with priests, because I am a deacon, 
Um, a good chunk, I would say maybe seven out of 10 priests don't believe in demons. Okay. So um, they're, the, the percentage of exorcists out there are very few and far between. You actually, see, I would say um, off the top of my head, maybe there's 10 in America, uh, maybe a little bit more wow. that are very uh, well-versed and very re uh, respected by the Catholic Church. Uh, and, but it's more prevalent thing over in Europe and Rome. Now, Rome ha tends to have quite a few more exorcists, but if you really look up the nature of uh, people that have written about exorcisms, like a father, Malachi Martin, yeah. Malachi Martin, um, uh, a father Gabriel North, um, there really aren't many more, a father Chad Ripperger. So there are uh, a very small margin of people that are exorcists out there cool. uh, in the Catholic Church. Now, is there, I have one more question. I know, I'm sorry, we're keeping you, like, but this shit is very interesting. Sorry about that. Remember, we have a special for you at the end of this, so before you get it up. Well, don't, like, summon a demon to my fucking house. I don't need that Do it. Do it. Is there any case that you guys would ever be approached with that you would no fucking way like they like they, it is too like it, it scares the shit out of even you guys the million dollars ten million dollars absolutely not is there any case that money's not even worth it you could think of not if it was preternatural supernatural not a, you know if it was genuine demonic it would not be too heavy too scary and I, I think james could say that too if there was if we were convinced it was just psychological and this person was going through the motions again and again we would recommend help for him or her, but we might, you know, refuse or shy away from going. And we know a few cases like that that seem to be uh, incurables, and it's psychologically based. Of course, with the amount of motion, emotion they expel, there is some paranormal uh, evidence there. Some things will happen, but it is so psychologically rooted in these individuals that uh, we would, we, no, we would stay away from that because we'd be wasting our time and theirs it would just be performing a psychodrama that we'd have to repeat again. So those kind of cases, and we know some of those, we would shy away from or we would avoid. Try to find them help, but we would avoid them. Yeah. But as far as something that's really too scary, too heavy, I don't believe there is. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Um, and, you know, to, to state to your listeners, uh, um, we don't do this for money. Uh, we actually a lot of do our work for free. The, the only thing that we maybe ever see income are if Carl does a television. I don't really do television, but if Carl does television or we do lectures. But our ministry work and the work we do with clientele is all free, all out of our pockets because um, we, we, we do it for a reason. But as far as especially in case what Carl said, if it's psychologically, uh, there's a lot of ramifications within that and we feel like that they won't listen to our advice. Um, but if I feel like it's something I can't handle, I will definitely bring somebody in um, that I feel is well-respected. Uh, maybe Carl, if I'm working on a case, so I'll bring Carl yes. in or I'll bring in other reputable people that I think that have a lot more experience than I, than I that could maybe look at it in a different way or maybe uh, take over uh, take over the case in general. Okay. That's my last question, I promise. All right, we'll do a roundtable. Brian, you got any questions? We'll go too far. 
I have right. a million more. <laughs> I've got five, but like we'll we'll cut it way short. This Thank is you. actually have us on and have us back. You know, yeah, no, definitely, yeah. absolutely. We, we gotta have these guys back yeah. more times yeah. because there's yeah. so much. More so we're we're, we're not done with our show yet. We do have a segment at the end for you guys as well. But yeah. Eric, Eric, let me just say this is this is from a friend of the show. This is somebody wanted to me to ask this question. Why don't these ghosts seem friendly ever? We got no Caspers in this bunch. Always trying to kill. Why not trying to chill? <laughs> Who else said that? <laughs> why, why are they trying to kill? Why are they trying to kill? Yeah, why are they trying to kill? Why are they trying to not trying yeah, to chill? Yeah, to try to chill. Why are those Netflix and chilling? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's because we remember the hostile ones, the troublemakers. You know, that's okay. the, it's just like... Uh, in school, you don't always remember the, you know, the, the ones who excelled and did their homework. Right. Remember that troublemaker there. You, I tell you what this cut-up did. He flushed Blockbuster down the toilet, you know. Uh, I think they, the demons get more pressed than the angelic or the, the human okay. spirits. Human spirits are a story to tell. Oh, this, this spirit has been in our house for so long, and we don't want him to go. But if it's a troublemaker, those get the press. Those get the uh, It's the sense. same in America, though. You'll have a serial killer get more specials than a hero. That's yeah, just what it do. is, you yeah. know? Uh, Olivia, do you have any questions for them before we... I do. All right, go on. You got it, Olivia. Okay, so why do the spirits, like, stay in the house? Is it because they can't move on? Or is it, like, how would you decipher that? Ooh. It's a lot of questions. They um, like the air conditioning. <laughs> uh, well, so well, to make that answer short on my part, um, sometimes it's because the person doesn't want the uh, spirit or ghost to go. Uh, sometimes it, uh, if you watch the movie, I believe it's called Bone, not Bones, um, but it was a movie on a little girl that got killed and she was trying to tell her, it was with Mark Wahlberg. She was trying to tell her parents. Uh, the lovely bones, that, lovely bones. Lovely bones. Lovely yeah. bones, yeah. So in some form or fashion, it's that maybe there is a missing person. Maybe they're trying to reach out. There's a lost cause um, and until they uh, until their body's found or whatever. Um, they can't go at peace. So there's that form of fashion. So there's many different speculation, but we don't truly know why sometimes. But we can sometimes come up with some sort of conclusion where... Um, okay, this person's body was found. Now there's no activity happening. Um, so there's many different speculation on that. But most of the time, I, I tend to believe it's because the person doesn't want to relinquish what's there. Um, they become too comfortable with it or becomes a part of their life. What about you, Carl? I think if it's a structure of home, a dwelling that the the spirit is familiar with, it gives it a run. Mm -hmm. It gives it some hold on reality because the thing barely exists as it is. And it's afraid of non-existence. You know, it doesn't necessarily want to go into the light, whatever that is. It just knows its own limited reality, its own structure, its own recreating its once living life. And these surroundings in the house give it something to grab onto and hold and make it real. They don't want to relinquish that. They don't want to let go of that because there, there might be nothing else for them. They may fade away with time, but they cling somewhat desperately to their surroundings with which they're familiar. Like uh, the lady with which I reside, supposedly I'm our caretaker, um, she got a cat. She, she's an elderly lady. Didn't get. I said, where's the litter box? Oh, I'm thinking of getting one. This cat has become part of the house. We don't see it. 
you know, and she actually tried to let it out. You know, she said, oh, make sure you keep the door closed. After a few days of this cat, oh, let the door open. Maybe it'll go. Yeah. Cat won't go. You can leave that door open because the cat has it too good. It has a food source, doesn't have any restrictions, loves to hide, but doesn't, it's not made to do anything, not made to use the litter box that we now have. But so the cat has it too good. Why leave even when you open the door? So with the spirit. It has a reality, a very limited reality. It fears it won't exist. If it's pushed out of that reality, it loses its soul. So that's why sometimes a haunting will step up when there's remodeling in a house. You know, and how you start to change the drapes and the floors uh, redone. You know, you may pull out the carpet and have an old wood floor, have it varnished. You make some changes in that house, the paranormal activity upsteps. Because either the spirit approves or disapproves of that. But if the house burns down, where does that spirit go? I hate to think. There's you know, your answer, Liv. <laughs> There's your answer, Liv. So it ain't leaving anytime soon unless you burn down. <laughs> not enough for, oh, are you talking about a personal experience? No, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. I, think I didn't mean to uh, say yeah, it's going to be around. All right, guys. So the end of our episode, Liv, do you have anything else? I did. Go on. No, go on. Okay. So I don't I know this is how the movies portray it, that like a spirit kind of takes over someone who's weak or vulnerable. Is that accurate? Because I know like you mentioned, correct me if I'm wrong, in that story this boy picked up a glove and brought it home. Like was yes. is it is it I don't know if you could uh, shed some light on that. Yes yes and no. It could we it tends to be some uh ones in faith that are weaker, but I have come across uh, situations where the people that were dealing with something were actually strong in faith. You know, I like to kind of bounce back to a, a famous saint. A lot of people do know of Padre Pio. Uh, he, had, Pio. he had a wavering faith in God. And uh, one of the reasons he actually became a saint was because he was oppressed by this demonic force most of his life. And he did not forego his faith. He always stayed strong with his faith. So, some most of the times it seems to be the, the weak-minded within their faith or weak-minded um somebody that has dealt with trauma uh maybe has alcohol issues drug issues um that seems to be the case but it, uh, a demonic entity can affect anything and any, anybody it wants your take what's that well let's rephrase the question for me so i can give a more definite answer mm. it's like uh what do you really want to know do, do demons what, people yeah. people, right? Was that it? Like, people, um, there are people that just are, uh, yeah, there should be rules against this, you know. Yeah. If somebody has emotional stress, has trauma in their lives, you know, and uh, or a mental weakness is, you know, what, it's not correct to say anymore, but special needs, there should be rules, edicts against this, you know, that person should be left alone, but there aren't. These are the ones the spirit will attack. Even when somebody's going through a trauma or going through a difficult time in their life, that's where they're going to get these hauntings. That's where they're going to get the spiritual problems. Yeah, it's assaulted. You know? So, yeah, it does prey on the weaker. Well, in the case I was illustrating that took place in Providence, this, uh, it was the perfect formula for something like this. He, he was uh, of Puerto Rican descent. Uh, this, he was born in New York, but his parents were, were from Puerto Rico. And he was... Uh, he was Brought up with that culture of belief in spirits. He had an aunt who was a Santorian, or his godmother was Santorian. And, um, you know, he was going through that this time where he's establishing his own identity when he's 14 years of age. 
So you got all these factors going together. It was a psychological maelstrom that uh, brought this possession into his life, and yet there were paranormal elements we couldn't ignore. So, yeah, he was vulnerable. That's when it befell him. That's when he was attacked. He got a little older. We, we intervened. We helped him. He turned 15. This thing was gone. So he had to become sturdier himself. We could help him. We could guide him. But he had to make a commitment to follow through on that. And he did, you know, mature. So he was at that vulnerable stage. That's when he was attacked. There seemed to be no safeguards. If somebody's going through a bad time, that's when they're spiritually vulnerable. And they need, you know, helpful intercession. Mm -hmm. They need people who care and intervene. So what you're saying is demons are bullies. Oh, yeah. And they're not... You know, as insidious as they are, the demon is not to be overestimated. They are invisible children. They're yeah. pranksters. Right. Like, uh, someone your own size. And that's yeah. not a challenge. I'm not challenging anything listening. He's being safe. He's not challenging. He's so, not, you know, he's not challenging. I'm not challenging No provocation. No provocation. Nothing. It's just, <laughs> all right, so... All right, the end of our episodes, we like to do like a would you rather or a gun to your head, as we call it. We ask a couple questions just to have fun and lighten the mood, especially when it's a serious episode like this. So what we do is we ask you two questions each. Uh, Liv probably won't participate because it was last minute. Sorry about that. Um, But at the end of the questions, you have to pick a winner between us three, okay? And we keep a tally and stuff like that. So you could even have two winners because one of you might think, you know, I won, and then the other might think I won or whatever. Wait, so, wait, wait, wait. Do they each get a vote? So yes, it's they a each get a vote. Yes. That's two wins? Two wins. All right. Now, okay. we like to do a little twist on it. It's not your typical Coke or Pepsi type thing. We try to add a little wordplay involved. All right, so I'll go first. You, you guys ready? Yeah, I'll right. take it. All right, so in real life, would you rather be in a world where you have to deal with the movie The Omen or the movie The Exorcist? Is there a right or wrong answer to this? No, no it's no. your opinion. Gun to your head. Like, you well, got no, first, I mean, me, I would rather deal with a case like The Exorcist. There's <laughs> more of a human element. The, uh, the Omen is pretty uh, intimidating because that involves the devil and the son right. of the devil, and it's just, uh, how do you deal with that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, James, faith and all that, but you're going to have some casualties in that war. So I, I would say if I had to be the extra, I've dealt with a, sim- a situation that was similar. So you know, I, I'd say it had to be one or the other, the Exorcist. All right, James, um, I, would say, I would say the Exorcist too, um, because dealing with the Cambion, which is basically the offspring of the devil, um, <laughs> that's pretty scary shit. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> I might run from that one. All right, we take it back. If it was something like the Omen, we'd probably not mess with that. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, number you see two. Two. Uh-huh. Last one for me. Would you rather take on the Dibix box or box Mike Tyson? I got to do the Dibix box because <laughs> I kind of like them. They're mysterious. You can keep them closed. You know, Mike Tyson is a uh, firecracker. He's a live wire. You don't know when he's going to snap, you know. Mm. Chew on an ear or something. Oh, I'd like to beat him. Yeah, yeah, I would. You know. Uh, see, I'm not a money person. Um, I don't fear. I really don't fear no man or no person. Uh, it's because I think that if you fear, it, it, it takes a lot of qualities in your life that should not be there. Um, would I box Mike Tyson? Yeah, I'd get my butt kicked. But if it was for a lot of money, sure, why not? But I would definitely pick the Divic box. 
He'd, he'd right. just knock me out one shot. He'd probably kill me too. Who knows? <laughs> you heard <laughs> this. Says, but... The element of the unexpected. You don't know what you're going to get. Maybe something James, good. Maybe something bad. James, I'm going to edit this and make it seem like you said you'd beat Mike Tyson up. <laughs> you should. <laughs> if Mike Tyson reaches out to me and wants to box, I'll, hey, right. I'll take the million dollars. Give me the million dollars. Junior is. This is the contender. All right. Right, you're up. All right, so this is for both of you. Sure. Would you rather have grown up never celebrating Halloween or go by the alias Hal-O-Ween? Oh, <laughs> that's tough. Oh, well, you had to pick one. <laughs> My life would be pretty miserable if I was named Hal-O-Ween, and I couldn't even celebrate it, could I? Well, I could <laughs> it's celebrate it. Little Clifford died, oh, but whatever. Oh, my word. Oh, my. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Damn it, I'd have to go with never celebrating Halloween, but oh my god! But you got to clarify: is this something where Halloween was never invented? I don't know. What I don't it know. Is. It exists. It's uh, you never get to celebrate Halloween as a kid, or you go by the alias Halloween. You have to go with Halloween, right? Like, I, all right, I've always been into weird things. I'll I'll be called Halloween. <laughs> I've always had a strange reputation since I was like. Can you please? Can you please make it. that your alias and one lecture you give? Hi, this is John Carlson, right. aka Hal sources. I sound more like I'd be running a, you know, a radio talk show, a Zoom show. If yeah. I Halloween. <laughs> Halloween coming to you, and guess what? This day is. They call it Halloween. Huh? It's amazing. <laughs> Go on, Brian. Second one. I've had too many. Yeah, I got to answer that. I would definitely, yeah, I would, definitely not, <laughs> would rather be called Hal um, because I can at least say I'm Hal, but definitely I love candy and I love Halloween. So Yeah, too many good memories, right, of Halloween. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, would you rather use eye drops made of vinegar or toilet paper made of sandpaper? <laughs> can you trade off every other week? No. Uh, no. Okay. Uh, That's a great question. <laughs> I, well, I I use the eye pain because I've had eye pain. I've had eye injuries. I wouldn't say you ever get used to it, but you know, I, I would do that. How often do I use the eye drops, though? Every day. Oh, oh it's an everyday thing. Yeah, it has to be the eye drops. So uh, what you're saying is it's got to be some kind of purgatory. You're not going to have a happy. <laughs> you're not getting out of it. No answers fun this. here. There's no fun <laughs> answer. Man, I would, I would definitely have There's to. There's no correct answer. I'd have to pick the eye drops because I don't need my asshole being sandy. <laughs> well, if you got to name your asshole, why not? That's a pretty good name. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I know what I mean? You, know, you have a pet cat. Why do you have to name it? You know? <laughs> <laughs> if you want to, sandy is just as good. As <laughs> I'm, glad I'm, I'm glad I went first because uh, that's yeah. tough to follow. Best of luck. That's very <laughs> tough to follow. I have one that's similar to that that I already wrote down. Very upset. All right. Yeah, say, one. Upset, All right. First one. Would you rather Would you rather be a ghost or be haunted by a ghost? Cheapers. So bad. I may not have a choice in the matter either way at some point. Yeah. Uh, I'd rather be haunted by a ghost because then you can say, that's not me. I'm better. I, I can't go through walls. I'm solid. I have a life. I can enjoy food. I'd rather be, uh, I'd rather be haunted by a ghost. Basically, you said you could taunt a ghost. But yeah, I go yeah. himself. <laughs> well, yeah, you might get the best of both worlds and be haunted and then become one that haunts. You know, you get basic training for that. 
I'd have to disagree with Carlton first. I'd rather be a oh, ghost. Oh, you was on the same page? Because I would, I would love to haunt people. That'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know how much control you have, though. I mean, yeah, I'd like oh, to do some great. haunting. I'd like to do some haunting. Sure. Yeah. This, was, this was the one that's like Brian. Uh, would you rather play Ouija every day or change your name to Waluigi? <laughs> <laughs> well, tech, playing Ouija every day would be tough, you know. It gets a little old, but I would rather play Ouija, you know. I mean, yeah, that way you don't. You can, you can be a closet Ouija-er and play Ouija <laughs> to your heart. Closet. <laughs> closet, you know. You just, you know, they can Ouija in secret. You mean, you know, I wouldn't tell everybody I Ouija. Would you? Would you let everybody know you Ouija? You're younger. So, I you know, I don't mind. Maybe you don't mind telling people. Well, you know, I if could, I, at my age, I'm Ouijaing every day. People are going to, why doesn't he just, like, get a steady girlfriend, you know? Well, I could just be like. Wait, I'll what's Ouijaing? Hold on. Wait, are we the on the same board? The Ouija board. Oh, I think we're misinterpreting something. Yeah, my, my mind went somewhere yeah. else. Sorry about that. Go on. You're thinking of the wrong yeah. thing. He incited this. Yeah, I'd rather. I'd have to. Even though I don't, uh, I definitely have to Ouija. I I cha changed my name to O'Kelly, so I'd be in the closet playing the Ouija board. Okay, <laughs> Ouija. Oh, I I grew up playing the Ouija board. You know, my oh, sister yeah. was doing that. You know, I was used to playing Ouija board, so I could get back into. Liv, do you have any? Liv, do you have any you thought of or no? No. All right, you got to pick a winner, guys. I'd say Brian with the sandpaper comment. Damn it. That's Carl? tough. Show. Yeah. So Brian yeah. and who? He's got two. You know what? This is, we got to get rid of this. We're yeah. gonna get I don't like this game. Let's get another game. <laughs> All right, guys. You said you had a surprise for us at the end. What, what do you got? Yes, we do. So one thing is we found out we were going to be on a ha uh, hip-hop rap show, and I'm a, a big a lover of rap and hip-hop. Carl, maybe not so much. Uh, I don't know. So Eminem, Marshall Mathers. Marshall Mathers. Like right, right. Yeah. All right, so... We wrote a uh, small rap for you guys. It's very go short, on. so we gotta put the we gotta put the. Uh, there you go. The, the physique on. The the right? That's amazing. There's no team of <laughs> So here we go. All right. My name is James, and this is Carl. We are a duo. And what's your problem? Carl is my name, and I know a problem. Could it be demons that hobble and wobble? We are a duo, and this is your problem. Here are the duos and don'ts to solve your problem. God bless. I love it. You know what? That's hard. That took a lot out of your comfort zone, I bet, and I fucking applaud you guys. I respect that. That was great. God bless you guys, man. And those are awesome hats. See, if you would have wanted Mets hats, I would have cut you off immediately. At least you put on Yankee hats. The new generation of my family is very much going to approve of that. Hey, guys, before we go, plug yourselves where we can catch you, your website, your books, the shows you have coming on, stuff like that. Well, we were so lucky to get the domain for our name for our website because we have a nascent website. It's in development, but it's coming along real good. And that is www.demonology. Uh, I mean, how do we get demonology? .org. .org. Yeah, really. It's not .com. It's a .org, which to me is, makes it sound more erudite. Yeah. So we get demonology.org is basically it, you know. And, uh, well, I have a book out. It is called Shadow Realms Demonology Handbook. On Amazon. 
That's the easiest way to get it on or, Amazon. Or, or through me. Or through, or through Carl, or through our website. website. Um, on the About Carl page, there is a link for his book um, as well. So if, if you're interested, um, you definitely can go there as well. Yeah, how can I get a copy to live? I get one to Olivia and you can all share it. Yeah, I could. I'll, uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you an address of ours to send it to. And then uh, you have to sign it, though. I will sign it. Yeah. Yes. Also, too, we got T-shirts. Um, we're out of stock right now in a couple sizes, but we will be sending them out to the guests on. So if you want to drop, like, your sizes and your address, yeah. we'll send them out to you guys. All right? Yeah. Um, I'll email it. Yes, seriously, this is fucking awesome. Um, we're going to drop this. So much, this will be a Halloween episode, so it'll be like an October. Oh, this is a Halloween episode. Good. Yeah. Nobody asked the question about Halloween. Yes, yep. it'll be an October 30th release, but like, really appreciate you guys coming on. If you're ever in Jersey, Jason, or, or sorry, James or Carl, just hit us up. We'll come out. We'll see your show. Um I got to give a shout out to my, my coworker, Aldo, who gave us the card to contact you guys. Thanks a lot. It was really cool. He went to one of your shows and he had nothing but nice things to say about you guys. So that's why I reached out to you guys. Um, this was really cool. Um, I yeah. I'm to speak for everybody. Uh, Liv, Eric, Brian, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. And um, check you guys out on uh, Instagram. What's your Instagram? Duodemonology. So D-U-O-D-A-E-M-O-N-O. L O G I E. That sounds like a rap in itself. But yeah. you can you, the, the Instagram the Instagram link and the Facebook link is also on our website for So you people. get the archaic spelling and all that. When you have a sign for your Thanksgiving episode, <laughs> this rap is gonna be longer. So <laughs> Yeah, start writing, you got a month. You yeah. Know? You got a little time. All right. Yeah, instead of hobble and wobble, it's gonna be gobble and hobble. <laughs> there you go. 